Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Randonista podcast. Thank you so much for everyone who's listened and provided feedback after episode one. Um, It blows my mind that anyone is listening to me, so that's amazing. Uh, It's also great to see this great wide uh, intersection of people listening. So I just I can't believe it. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to note that I pre-recorded my outro last time. So let me take a quick step back and just gush about how amazing that theme song is. Uh, it is by Kate Hardley, who is a friend of mine. She is an extremely talented musician, composer, all of the things that you would attach to that she is capable of doing. She played all the instruments, did all the vocals and the synthesizing for this. Um, and she has her own album coming out November 21st. So I will make sure to give you all of the details at the end of this podcast. Also look for them in the show notes. She brought together my kind of disparate ideas of what I was looking for and just brought it together into this beautiful sounding intro to the the podcast that just kind of elevates the whole thing. So thank you, Kate. That was amazing. Folks, I have another fun episode for you today. For my in-depth conversation, I sat down with the founder of Women on Wheels, Yari, to talk about building communities. But before we even get into that, I'll talk through some bike news with my friend PQ, who will then stick around and talk to us about Um, snacks and nutrition and fueling ourselves on ride and will be providing me with snacks for once uh, instead of the other way around as we talk through friends on bikes eating dessert. And then finally, I'll wrap up the show with the reappearance of my friend Bridget, who comes to play fun game with me. I had originally recorded this for the first episode, but ended up shelving it for uh, in favor of promoting voting. Um, so I'm really excited to bring that back this week because it was really fun to to record with her. Um, and then speaking of voting and elections, I would be remiss if I didn't say a huge congratulations to our new mayor, Michelle Wu. Wu train. Uh, I can't believe that I can now say that my mayor rides a bike. Um, I've been so uh, heartened as well to see all of the news across the country kind of pointing to this historic mayoral election and how she's really setting up Boston to be the first city to really develop these green initiatives and really go forward with um, things to improve climate change. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the summit the COP summit um, in the news. So I think that'll tie in really nicely that we have this great new mayor to take care of things here. Um, And finally, before we do jump into the news, I want to remind everyone that all of the key legislation that I discussed last episode with Galen is still sitting in the state capitol and waiting for a vote. So make sure you contact your state senators to get those passed. That was the omnibus bill, the e-bikes bill, Um, And then also there's all of the infrastructure projects that are happening, including open petitions for protected bike lanes on the Mass Ave Bridge, as well as um, feedback for some Cambridge Street bike lanes. Um, The Minuteman Shared Use Path has a feedback form that you can fill out right now. 
and the Arbor Way is looking to add some some uh, new bike lanes. So those will all be in the show notes. I'll have lots of links um, and to anything that I may have missed as well. Uh, but, you know, that kind of wraps that all up. And now for the news. Uh, this news is coming us coming to us today from my new bestie. <laughs> I don't think I've used that term necessarily yet. But we met this summer teaching kids biking, um, how to ride safely, how to ride at all, and realized we had a lot in common. And I wanted this person to come onto the show and do this new segment with me. So thanks for being here, PQ. I'm so excited to be sitting here with you today, enjoying the sunshine. I was biking over here today and boy howdy would having that protected bike lane on the Harvard Bridge be so nice. Oh yeah. You'll see my bicycle in the notes from this episode and understand a little bit more about (laughs) how in favor I am of protected lanes and how dedicated I am to making sure that I'm visible while I'm on the road. But a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. I'm really excited that the Fresh Pond bike lane is finally paved. I don't think it's open yet. I'm sure in the notes we'll have the opening date for you. Yeah, uh, I'll look that up. I just I just biked by it last night, and the entrance from Fresh Park is all blocked off because they don't want you to use it yet. I roll. Hey, at least it's paved, unlike the Northern Strand. I keep trying to ride the northern strand and every time I do it I'm disappointed. Uh, I understand that the end coming in towards assembly is really close but there doesn't seem to be any word on when it'll finally be finished. So keep your fingers crossed I guess. Yep. Uh, On a totally separate note one of the things that I've really gotten into this year is or gotten back into this year is riding in the woods and over the summer Belmont bulldozed a really nice youth-built skills park down off of 60, a little dirt track that the neighborhood kids had put together. Including my nephew. He loved going over there. I went over with him. I've been on it a couple of times, or had been. My partner just bought a new, to him, mountain bike last year, and he had been really excited to go play there, and then came to me and said, do you remember that park we rode by and how cool it was? Well, they tore it all down and then I don't know two weeks later said hey did you know that Arlington and Medford are both bringing proposals to create a dirt skills park in their towns in some unused forested sections of park so I'm glad somebody appreciates that we need more infrastructure that's scaled and safe so that we can teach kids how much fun it is to ride bikes both on and off-road Uh, One of the things that Laura and I have talked about are some group rides that I have been bringing our three- and five-year-old nephews on, and I feel really lucky that we live in a place that has access to cycle tracks and protected bike lanes that we can teach our kids on. And the same thing goes for the sixth graders that we've been teaching this fall. We we live in a place where they even can think about being cycle-only pedestrians. Yeah, we even um, brought them over to River Street in Cambridge. It's right off of Hoyt Field where we were teaching the kids. And I basically stood in front of them and said, this is River Street. You can sort of see there used to be a bike lane in front of us, but the paint has faded. 
um, watches these buses go by riding through the lane, watches these two lanes of cars go very quickly down the street. And I sincerely looked at these sixth graders and said, I don't bike on the street. Um, and I would not expect you to maybe take the sidewalk or find a different way to go. But, you know, these are the th- kind of things we're talking about. We're trying to treat, we're trying to teach these youth to, to come out and ride and they need a place to actually do it. Can we just talk about Powderhouse Square for a minute? <laughs> yes, we can. I have lived off of almost every exit on the Powderhouse Rotary in my time in this area. And every single time I've ever ridden through it, I feel like I'm taking my life into my own hands. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that they've put up all of the bollards. But there are so many bollards. Why are there so many bollards? You've taken this thing that could have been really great. You've still failed to remove the traffic lights and stop signs, which Mm -hmm. I know were on the proposal. I know that they promised to do that. You have overbuilt it in such a way that it is now really complex for cars to navigate. We drove through it the other night, and the turn from Broadway onto Main Street into Medford is... uh, Harvard, Harvard, the turn from Broadway onto Harvard is a really, really tight turn. And, well, not that we know when it's going to snow because last year it snowed on Halloween. (laughs) But as soon as it snows, all of those bollards either need to get taken down or they're going to get plowed over. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be right back to being a rodeo. Mm -hmm. I... I find that I'm still taking the driving lane just as frequently as I'm taking the cycle track because yes, I'm visible while I'm crossing the bike lanes, but just because I'm visible doesn't mean a car has enough time between coming around the rotary and exiting mm-hmm. to to see me and stop in time. Yeah. And I I just feel like there were other ways to do this. Yeah, and and I think where we're going with all of these uh, comments and frustrations is there were proposals. There Mm -hmm. were things that were happening. And so, again, and you'll probably hear this a lot over the course of this podcast, but this is why it's so important to pay attention to what's happening locally because you can be a part of those conversations and you can help – with the plans, you can help adjust these things. Uh, but this leads me into the next story that I want to cover. So we covered all the kind of local infrastructure changes that are happening. And fingers crossed that we get those dirt uh, kind of pump track, BMX tracks um, in Arlington and Medford, you said? Medford. And in Medford. Um, but something that's happening that's going to affect us on a global level is the fact that there was just this big client climate uh, summit that happened that, uh, you know, I hope all of you heard about. Shout out to President Biden's 82-car motorcade. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> the COP26, which apparently there were 26 other uh, climate summits beforehand. Also, come up with a better name. But um, the, we won't get into all of that. Uh, the Climate Change Conference... Uh, happened. It was the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, to which all of these world leaders took their private jets. Mm-hmm. It's a global coalition of 60 plus. Uh, excuse me. Let me 
start that sentence over. A global coalition of 60-plus bicycle organizations published an open letter to urge the leaders of more than 120 countries attending this summit to increase the amount of people on bikes. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, people online will be like, oh, so self-righteous. You know, you're saving the world riding a bike. But honestly electric vehicles are still going to have just as much congestion. Uh, I just watched John Oliver talking about the power grid and how much that's going to cause issues if we're just turning everything into electric. Okay, maybe it's green energy, but it's going to take us a really long time to get to a point where we're not constantly overloading our grids to accommodate it. But there are things that don't take any power, they don't take any electricity, any gas, any anything, and they are bicycles. And can we also just talk about the impact of mining the ingredients for all of those batteries and all of those mm -hmm. microchips for all of those electric vehicles and the impact that that has? Yes. It's not just, ooh, yay, it's electric, but they're so fancy and electronic that it's just as like we talk about when they make cell phones, when they make laptops. It's the same issues coming up. And cool. We still haven't transferred our power grid over to renewable energy so we're still burning coal to make electricity to power your fancy electric cars mm -hmm. so uh people for bikes which is a big national organization here in the u.s i uh, was talking about how of course you know we know this bicycle produces zero emissions it's simple technology um and they were really trying to you know convince convince isn't the word i'm looking for endear them to bicycles, you know, just, just try to get the word out. So Jen Dice from People for Bikes, she's the president and CEO, said, investing in bicycle infrastructure is a climate imperative. Rising emissions from transportation requires immediate action to replace short car trips and incentivize bicycling. We stand with our global partners in calling on the United States and other world leaders at COP26 to prioritize biking as a simple, cost-effective, and increasingly popular climate solution. It, I don't remember where the conference took place, but... Glasgow. Oh, perfect. Somewhere where people commute by bicycles. Mm -hmm. All year round, turns out. Um, even here in Boston, both Laura and I bicycle year round. Mm -hmm. It takes some extra gear, but the number of short car trips that that could be replaced by bicycles there are so many different ways to carry cargo on your bike for those trips or your children these days that while there are certainly valid reasons for people to use vehicles based on how their bodies work there's no reason for the amount of parking spaces and the amount of congestion mm -hmm. and the absolute lack of looking towards the future that our local and international leadership is doing. Yeah, I, I read a really funny article about the creators of SimCity, I think it was, um, wanted to make it as realistic as humanly possible with people creating these cities. And what they learned was there's so much space given to parking that it would have made for a really boring game. <laughs> They're like, we had to eliminate a lot of the, the parking that happens in real cities. Otherwise people would have lost interest in our game. It's funny too, thinking about 
my childhood here and how much planning it took to get the big dig, how many years it took for us to plan these very car-centric cities. I don't have a good point of reference for other ones because I'm a New Englander, but the cities for tomorrow that they planned 30 and 40 and 50 years ago are not the future that we're living in. And we really need to start transitioning to those bicycle or other alternative vehicle futures. Scooters, great, also low environmental impact. Um, recent legislation, but not bicycle-based. They want to take the electric lines uh, down in Belmont for the buses. Like the 73 bus and the 71 bus? I think so. Why? Great question. <laughs> I do not know. My guess is it has to do with traffic. Now, keep in mind, this is wild speculation. And if I'm super wrong, feel free to come at me. But ha being someone who rides frequently on those paths to get to my sister's house, uh, I imagine it's difficult when those buses do need to maneuver around things um, because they only have so much space to move. Sure. And I'm not saying that's a a valid reason I'm just speculating that might be the reason yeah I do know that uh, those lanes get super congested but replacing more electric energy with diesel powered buses again not driving us to the future that we want mm -hmm. yeah man and bicycles are available we keep hearing about all of these shortages all over the place but but they're out there, man. There's used bicycles out there. There's new bicycles out there. One of the really cool things about bicycles, one of the things that I deeply, deeply love about them is that they are so infinitely replaceable and customizable. As parts wear out, we can replace them. We can move them over. Heck, we can even weld things back together. Mm -hmm. I also uh, would say the nice thing about the bicycle, too, is the basic modern bicycle that we ride has not really changed... I mean, it's changed some. Aesthetics have changed a bit. Uh, but in terms of those parts, as you were saying, you know, a lot of people keep their bikes for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, you buy used bikes from the 90s all the time. So it's really nice that they're so long lasting. They're absolutely long lasting, which again, reduces their environmental impact because rather than purchasing a new item, we're reusing the same thing mm -hmm. or figuring out how to rework it. Yeah. So I think that that rounds out our news segment um, real quick because I, I realized I forgot to say this at the top too. So we are, we have a really great show today. I have this excellent interview where I spoke with uh, uh, Yari De Jesus, which I do not say her name correctly, but she will pronounce it correctly for us later. And I, I do apologize every time I say your name wrong. Um, <laughs> where I was going with that is that we had this great conversation about getting more women on bikes and women um, being more self-sufficient. And so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to PQ is because she is a mechanic in a bike shop and out there doing the good work and showing people that you don't have to be a white man to work in a bike shop, to fix bikes, to do all of those things. So, uh, you know, I'm not even the only wom woman mechanic in my shop. So 
I sold my first bike this weekend. I have been working as a mechanic at Ace Wheelworks since March. And the woman who I sold this bike to literally showed me a text on her phone that she had sent to her partner saying, I can't tell you how nice it was to work with a queer mechanic because I've experienced this, Laura, I'm sure you've experienced this, probably anyone in our listening pool right now who identifies as female has been told that they don't know what they want in a bicycle or some other athletic pursuit at some point in their life. If you're a dude hearing this and saying, I've never experienced that, yeah, I'm not shocked. No offense, but this conversation is not for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really bad at knowing the technical terms for things, but I didn't get hired because I can talk shop. I got hired because I know how to juggle wrenches. And I'm really lucky to work in a shop where we're working really hard to queer up the bike industry. Um, I am one of three very openly, easily identifiable queers who work as mechanics at the Ace Wheelworks location. It's something we talk a lot about. And I feel really lucky to be able to do that and to be able to bring that experience to customers who are so used to feeling like they're being talked down to because at the end of the day, let me be the expert on bikes, but please let you be the expert on you. I don't care what words you use. Tell me what's going to make you happy and I'm going to do my best to meet you there. I'm not going to meet you where the highest price tag that I think I can sell you is. That's not what I'm here for. That's awesome. Um, I think we're seeing more and more of that, but everywhere that we can show people that you know women can be or you know even to broaden that out a little bit but kind of the women trans femme non cis white male model uh the better so thank you for coming on to the show um we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back uh last time we did Friends on bikes eating dessert. I brought my friend Bridget out for a ride, and that was super fun. She'll actually be back for a quick game at the end of this episode. Um, But I wanted to shake things up a little bit this week with a slightly different version of Friends on bikes eating dessert, which is that our uh, own PQ, or Pastry Queen, comes with a second name. They're also known as Chef J., and they're going to be giving us a little feedback on best snacks to eat on your bike, which we will enjoy together, and how they're carried on the bike. So, Chef Jay, why don't you take it away? All right. Cool. So, today I brought some sweet potato biscuits for us to share. These mm. are one of my favorite riding snacks. I jokingly refer to them as pocket bread because they are small enough that I can fit them in the back pockets of my cycling jersey. I have a really great jersey that's got six or seven pockets so I just what? keep it's a century jersey. It's I, got I zippers. Made that. Segoy. Oh okay all right totally looking over. Uh, got that <laughs> at a tag sale a couple of years ago but I will stash biscuits in all of the pockets um And that way I can pull them out because I really like endurance rides. And one of the things that anyone who's known me for more than 10 minutes knows is I'm always hungry. And 
part of that is because I ride all the time everywhere. But the other part of that is that our body's glycogen stores, we only have about enough energy for between an hour to an hour and a half of physical activity before we really need more fuel. So if you're going out for a casual hour, hour and a half ride, you probably don't need a snack. You want to make sure that you're fueling up before you go ride some amount of easy to digest carbohydrates, water to wash it down, carry it into your bloodstream. A little bit of fat is going to keep you going and then you're all set. But if you know you're going to be out for a couple of hours or you're going to be out all day, it's pretty important to have the option to refuel every hour, hour and a half, two hours. So we all know that we should be carrying water on our rides because we need to rehydrate. But that water is also really important, like I said, to carry that fuel into our bloodstreams. So the other snack I brought today is actually toffee that I made earlier this week. Boy, is my dentist going to be mad at me. <laughs> uh, I, I carry toffee. I'm a really big fan of Swedish fish or Sour Patch mm-hmm. Kids. But they're great because they're quick sugar. And if you are like me out doing a 70 mile casual cross ride for your birthday, mm-hmm. I'm burning a lot of calories and having something that is just pure sugar to keep me going so that that energy goes straight into my bloodstream. I've got these sweet potato biscuits. Those are going to fuel me in 20 or 30 minutes, but this sugar is going to spike my energy right away. So I really like being able to balance those two things. Yeah. And it should be noted, Chef Jay is not just a nom de plume. You have a background in cooking and baking. In is that correct? both. It's true. Uh, yeah. I studied as a pastry chef. I've worked as a chef and pastry chef for 15 years. And I... Yeah, when you threw out like the science terms, I was like, oh. I do right. have a background in nutrition. <laughs> I run a small business teaching one-on-one and in-home small group cooking classes. I have been teaching kids after school cooking classes and writing some of the curriculum for that program. It's not a program I own, but it is a program that I work for. So I get to pass on that information to people. Um, so I promise I I have not just spent a lot of time researching on the <laughs> internet. I do have actual letters that I, I paid a lot of money for yeah. uh, that come at the end of my name. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that people forget. So, you know, I, I kind of jokingly made up the the name of this segment because I like dessert and it was a good way to bribe my friends to ride but it it also is super important you need to continue to fuel yourself and and this was a you know rookie mistake I made myself when I first started riding my first 30 mile ride I didn't have any snacks on me I was bonking super hard which meant that I was so hungry I could barely keep going which you know when you get to that point it's a bonking is an official a real cycling term that is not just a made-up term today um which means that you've waited so long to eat that it's now almost too late uh you lose all of your energy and you can barely keep going and refueling you're gonna take a while before you actually feel good enough to get back on the bike so you know i got home from my first 30 mile ride and i i didn't even go to my own house we were cutting through belmont i stopped at my sister's house and i laid down on her floor and was just like i can't keep going uh, so this is this is really really important. So I love that 
you bake your own things because uh, I just go and eat all the chemicals in my cliff bars and all of that. So uh, what what specifically about these snacks? You talked about the sugar, the sugar from the toffee, which is super important. Um, long distance runners do that, too. My brother-in-law likes to pop his Swedish fish. Uh, but what about the sweet potato bread? Same thing in terms of the sugars, but it's a mix of simple and complex carbohydrates. So I get a little bit more fuel out of that, a little bit more time out of it. And again, it's a larger piece. I don't eat the whole thing at once, but one of the things I really love about using sweet potato is that they're really moist. And one of the perils of a lot of cycling snacks is that they're really dry, they're really unpleasant. And so I can break off chunks of this while I'm riding. I can eat it one-handed. I can turn it into a sandwich, but I don't need two hands to eat it. And I don't feel like I've licked sandpaper when I'm done. <laughs> That's very true. I'll try to like uh, on big, big rides I'm doing if I, cause I only eat a cliff bar if I'm actually doing more than 30 miles. Cause otherwise that's too many calories. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, and it's so small. Sometimes you just need a couple of bitefuls of something to keep going. You don't need a full meal and I'll be eating it while I'm biking. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope I don't choke on this. <laughs> like it's so hard to chew. And I'll tell you the other thing about these is that I actually get really sick of sweet snacks. Mm. When when you're out riding all day, you get palate fatigue. And so having something that mm -hmm. isn't super sweet, actually my riding buddy has been making a mozzarella and sun-dried tomato energy bar that she vacuum packs that has been really great. And she also has made us some salty gummies uh, I think yes. Cliff makes a salted margarita gummy, and and so she's been making. We call them the uh, salted cranberry bog gummies. <laughs> so they're salty and they're sour. And if you've had one and it's not salty, you know you're real dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I've been really lucky to have that sort of mixed access to to snacks, the time and the energy and the knowledge to do that. Yeah, that's probably my biggest problem is I, I never have the, it's not so much the time, it's the energy and desire to want to make my own snacks. I should really be better about that. But the other thing you wanted to talk to me about today is how you carry them. So we talked about this awesome jersey that I need to look up. Uh, what other things do you do? Relating back to your story and also relevant to what you're asking, I told you I do a lot of distance rides. So right now we are staring at one of my tall bikes. Uh, for those of you who haven't witnessed it, Boston has a really active bicycle chopper gang scene. We're called Skull. It's S-C-U-L dot org if you want to see pictures of all of the ridiculous things that we do. But one of the really, really bad ideas that somebody had about 20 years ago was that we should take our freak bikes on century rides. And it was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> it is not a joke. We did three of them this year. I wasn't involved in all of them, uh, but I definitely have centuried this tall bike twice. It's a single speed. I hate myself. Uh... But what's really nice about it is that in between the top frame and the bottom frame, I have a basket. So in 2019, we did a century ride with a loop out to Groton to get cider donuts. 
And one of the folks who had joined us told us that morning that the furthest she'd ever ridden was 15 miles. Now, we're really big into encouraging folks. We always try to add some kind of bailout option, whether it's commuter rail or knowing that there's somebody around who has the day that can come pick us up if somebody bonks. If you've ever ridden out to Groton, you will know that it is a roller coaster. Our fearless navigator of the day did not quite tell us how much elevation we would be doing. Uh, but because this friend had never ridden a distance ride, she didn't really understand fueling, and all she had brought with, uh, with her were hard-boiled eggs. Another one... I just made quite the face. That sounds like a hard thing to eat all day. It, it does to me, too, and I like soft-boiled eggs. Oh, I love eggs. I eat them almost, pretty much every day. Uh, one of the friends who had brought her on this ride had a bag of rolls, and I actually had his bag of rolls in my basket. Uh, it's a it's a pretty big basket. You can't see it from here. I use this bike to go grocery shopping sometimes. Uh, it it is got enough space for that anyway. But we got to our second rest slash snack stop because on a chopper you can't necessarily eat in flight, except that I'm always hungry. So I have perfectly designed this basket such that I can access my snacks in flight. I have been known to put a bag of popcorn and just sit and eat popcorn while I am writing. Uh, but she was complaining 20 or 30 miles in about absolute sheer exhaustion, which, okay, sure, this is the, her longest bike ride to date. And then I noticed what she was eating. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you I nearly slapped the egg out of her hand <laughs> Because while, yes, when you're doing endurance sports, um, ultra marathoners will tell you that they're encouraged to have some small amount of protein. And really, if you're doing a century, you need that because you're doing so much more. Uh, a skull century takes anywhere from 10 to 14 hours because I'm riding two to three to five times your weight in bicycles, your bicycles weight in bicycles. Um, and so we do need some protein, but your body can't do a whole lot with that protein while you're exercising. And it's really important to have access to those simple carbohydrates and to know your body because some people's bodies can handle a complex carbohydrate, something that takes multiple steps to break down, but not everybody can, and it can give you an upset stomach. Um, so she did actually end up making it uh, about 60 miles. We got to Groton. She did get cider donuts. We all got cider donuts. Um, but it really just hammered home for me how important it is to have access to um, to in-flight snacking options or to bringing those snacks with you and being able to stop. And this past week, for my birthday, one of my riding buddies gave me a Relevate feed bag to hang on... Revelate, sorry. Uh, hang on my handlebars for that in-flight snacking. I also really want to get a fanny bag. Every single one of my coworkers, I think, rides with a fanny pack now. I've been eyeballing them for a while. I, I like the term hip pack. Okay, hip pouch <laughs> I can also do, or a uh, handlebar purse. But I also want that, yeah. Um, but I got this. Especially with Watson, because it would go right underneath him. Uh-huh. Yeah, but... Then he might eat all of your snacks. I he, see him right now. He, he, he's he thinking about hungry. your snacks. He does look hungry, but he wouldn't be able to get it out of the hip pack. It'd be okay. Th that's fair. So I did get to use this feedback for the first time. Um, my 
cross frame doesn't have room for a frame bag and it actually barely has space for two water bottles. So it was really nice to have somewhere to not only stash my extra water bottle, but I also had all of my Swedish fish. I had some granola bars um, and I had some pocket bread in there. And so to not have to think about where my snacks were was, was so nice. Uh, and I also learned, actually, on a recent ride out to Bedford to meet up with my aforementioned nephews, that I can open up and reach into my pannier in flight. <laughs> and so I was eating handfuls of granola out of my pannier while I was trying to ride. And again, I was on the Minuteman, so I knew that I had some space to horse around. But but just the importance of having access to snacks while you're riding to keep you properly fueled so that you can do whatever distance, whatever activity makes you happy. Because that's really what it's all about at the end of the day, right? Um, yes, food is the one thing I'm always thinking about. And so you know, when you like are meeting up with friends and yeah, well, we'll do dinner or whatever. The first thing I do is, okay, let's plan dinner. Let's order. Let's do whatever we're going to do. Then we can chat. Like, I just need to make sure food is coming. Oh, I mean, I go home and I make a snack and then I cook dinner. Mm, I 100% get it. Too. <laughs> uh, and also, like, I'm I'm poor. Mm-hmm. I work at a bike shop. I don't make <laughs> a lot of money. I make more money now than I did working in a restaurant. But, you know, I, I snack a little bit less all day because I'm not literally preparing food. I mm-hmm. sometimes have to clean the chemicals off my hands. Uh, but I don't have a ton of money kicking around. And so I can't cafe hop like mm-hmm. some of our cycle cap wearing hipster friends. And so having space to carry the snacks that I make or buy and not have to stop every 20 miles for a cup of coffee and a cookie, which nobody has cookies I can eat anyway. I've been gluten free mm-hmm. for 10 years. I have to bring my own snacks. That's also real. So I think what we're hearing is... A plus feed bag, handlebar bag, hip pack, fanny pack, basket, all solid options. Maybe not all of them at once, but all solid options for carrying things. Have you seen the new clinch bags? The I've seen the ones that Peter posts. So uh, there's a messenger kind of like in Boston, Gabriel, who's mm-hmm. from Columbia, who's got these clinch, who's got these bags. This company called Clinch. They're They've got these really fun and funky designs. And every every time he comes in with the hats, he says, just so you know, if you see a design on any one of these hats, you can get it on anything else we make. They just started making a handlebar slash hip pouch so that you can take it off of your bike and wear it. Oh, yes, please. If you think that that is not the next accessory that I'm getting for my bicycle, boy, howdy, would you be wrong? (laughs) I want one so bad. Awesome. All right. Well, that rounds out. This segment of Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert, uh, PQ slash Chef J and I are going to devour those sweet potato, the would you, pocket snacks, pocket, pocket bread, pocket bread. We're going to devour the pocket bread because it looks really good. And of course, you know, it's 11 a.m. I'm hungry already. Uh, and we're going to go for a ride. So take a look at the socials for a cute video of Watson, me and Chef J on our bikes around Austin. I can't wait. Oh, uh, before we round out, is there anything you want to plug? If I'm gonna take that as a no. No, no, I got nothing. <laughs> you don't want come to. check out come check out skull.org. Um, 
Artisans Asylum just moved to Alston. Mm-hmm. We'll be opening doors to the public, I hope, sometime in 2022. And Skull is going to be recruiting new pilots. We'd love to have you. If- We're very excited that that's moving to Alston, by the way. No offense to Somerville. I mean, I'm really sad about it because it's now it's farther away from me. But if you like riding tall, weird bikes that are covered in bright lights and listening to disco at two o'clock in the morning, or you just think that it would be really a gas to take a 60 to 200 pound bike for a century. Yeah. We're the group for you. I also took my own mechanics courses at the Artisan Asylum. Yeah. They they offer tons of things that you can do there. Hey, fun fact, my partner probably taught your class. (laughs) Very possible. We could talk about that later. We'll have to check our notes. All right. Um, Excellent. Well, that, again, rounds out Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert. Thank you so much for being here with me. We're going to go eat some food. Oh, boy. I had a delightful time speaking with PQ uh, about all things news, all things biking, and all things eating, um, which is always an important part of my life. Uh, But I also wanted to make a quick plug because PQ, Watson, and I did a little bike ride. Um, Despite this being a slightly different format from my usual friends on bikes eating dessert, We did take the tall bike out and PQ showed off some really amazing skills. Uh, So I made sure to capture the video. And if you want to see someone doing some just really amazing tricks on a tall bike, go to the Randonista Instagram or check out my YouTube channel, which again, link in show notes. I feel like I've said that a lot today, which has a widescreen version that will show you more details. It also has a lot of videos of Watson riding around um, and will be the future keeper of all the Friends on Bikes eating dessert videos. So feel free to check it out. Um, Now we're going to move into what I like to call the meat of the episode, which is my long, uh, long form interview with Yari. We're here today to talk with Yari because I want to take a little bit of time to Find out more about the people doing interesting and cool things in the city of Boston around the world of biking. In general, uh, you see a lot of people on bikes, but I think in the last two years, as we all know, there was this explosion of people getting on their bicycles during the pandemic. And I know for me, one of the ways that I got really into biking was doing it in groups and Uh, From what I understand from my research on the internet about you, uh, you did something very similar. You were in the middle of a pandemic and you were looking for friends and you said, hey, why don't I start an organization that people can come and ride with me? So um, just tell me a little bit about uh, starting Women on Wheels. All right. Well, my name is Jadi de Jesus. (laughs) That's the the correct pronunciation. Um, It's uh, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, and my mother is Dominican. So the name derives from Puerto Rico, of course, um, named by my father. I, uh, a little bit about myself. I moved to the U S when I was 10 and to a city called Lynn, which, you know, you probably familiar with up in the North shore. Uh, and I was not as into biking as I 
did when I went to college. So I went to Salem State University, which is literally right next door. I started riding my, my I had a Huffy bike. I know that like we all make fun of those now, <laughs> but that was my first bike here. Um, but I did learn how to ride since I was six years old in Puerto Rico. So I used to be, uh, I used to ride a lot with my dad and my, um, and my aunt back in the island but then when I moved to Lynn it wasn't really a thing right so not a lot of people were riding their bikes uh, but in Salem it was it was more of a all right let's go out you know on, on our bikes and enjoy the city Halloween town you know how it is and so um, then I started grad school and I just needed to move to Boston because the commute was unbearable from Salem every single day and so in Boston I learned that is best not to have a car <laughs> <laughs> and I was working eight minutes from my apartment in Mission Hill. So I got a new bike and the pandemic hit, right? And so I'm in grad school. I'm also working virtual. So I'm literally in front of a computer for hours. When I tell you from morning to night, I wouldn't even see the day because I was just stuck in my computer all day. And my only way to escape would, would be biking. And so I started biking with the, a few of my friends during the pandemic. We would, you know, ride socially distanced with our mask on, but still we would go out and like get our minds off of the stress uh, that, you know, we were going through at the time. And I was, I even had anxiety. Like I never even knew what that was until I felt it in grad school. Uh, and really biking was my escape. And so I think the journey started on Instagram. So I would post my on my stories like, oh, I'm out, you know, exploring the city. And you know that during the pandemic, there were no cars. <laughs> There's no one outside. And it felt awesome. Like I remember riding down Boylston Street, completely empty. It was like Will Smith and I am legend, literally riding down the street. And people would love to see that online because that's that's all we could do is just literally watch people online. And so initially it wasn't women on wheels it was called adventures with jody i know so that was the name of the, the page initially where we i would just go out on an adventure either on a weekend or, or weekday after work and then uh go and grab takeout even if it's somewhere in cambridge you know but i made it a mission to go at least four times a week bike riding and not only did I lose weight and <laughs> got was pretty fit, but again, the 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 crew kind of, you know, grew bigger and bigger. And it was, we were both boys and girls. Um, but then one day I decided to uh, do a major ride. This is around, I want to say May 2020, May or June. I, I can't remember vividly. And I posted the ride online. I was like, we're going to have an all women's ride at the... Um, the Minuteman in Cambridge and it's just going to be all levels because it's a trail where there's no you know you don't have to worry about cars and 67 women showed up Whoa. and my heart almost came out because I'm like how did we do this all from Instagram and honestly I, I really think it was because of the pandemic because people were so tired of being home you know what I mean but I was really scared I was like I don't want the news to get here I don't want to get in trouble but this is crazy. Uh, but it was so much fun. Like, I didn't know that that was going to be the beginning of a movement when all of those women showed up in blue bikes, all types of bikes, because even if they didn't have one, they borrowed one. <laughs> what was the age range that everybody? Uh, all levels. Like, I mean, there were children there. There were moms. There were young girls. Uh, 
really all levels. I mean, and we had, and and by moms, I mean like there were like 50 year olds in there. This We had a huge variety of women that came to that ride. I was just so impressed. And so we did the ride. Not all of them completed the ride because they were beginners. So they ended up turning um, back. But from there, I was like, you know what? This is the start of something great. I don't know where it's going to lead me, whatever. I went home not really thinking too much of it. And then I switched the name of the page. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be Women on Wheels. <laughs> Boston. And um, and yeah. And so that's what it is you know, today. It's really, I didn't plan how it's been or how it's going. It's just opportunities have been falling on my lap because there is definitely a need for more women to be on bikes. And even myself, when I ride around, I just see a bunch of men, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like either pro cyclists riding in the, the streets of Boston. And so I wanted to change that dynamic and make it more diverse and have more women join us. How long was that first ride? The first ride, if, if you've been to the Minuteman, we did from Alewives Station. That's where we met. We did all the way, like about 11 miles there, one way, and then 11 miles yeah, back yeah, to Bedford, Lexington area. Um, so yeah, about 22 miles. And so that sounds like a lot, obviously for you and I, that's not a lot. But for beginners, 22 miles sounds crazy. So the girls that actually did complete it, they were so proud of themselves at the end. It was like, I can't believe I did 22 miles. And like, you know, we <laughs> we all had it on our on our phones. Like some of us recorded the ride. And, and so that was really an unforgettable experience because it shows you like how people in group can motivate one another. And, and so you said you, you started this kind of, you know, on a whim. You were looking for people to ride and you you saw this really amazing opportunity um, but again, it, it still just was mostly organic growth. So what has come from that? I know you've, you've done a couple of sponsorships and, and maybe a fun video that you want to tell us about. Uh, how did those opportunities pop up? So honestly, I, man, I, it's, it's hard to go back and remember everything like, you know, but I connected, I connected with local organizations. So like, obviously bikes, not bombs. Um, I remember in the beginning, uh, this is like maybe during the pandemic or right after when when it all started, I had reached out to Elijah. And so I went to Bikes Not Bombs in person and we spoke. Um, he kind of like set me down and asked me a, a few questions. And so I told him my vision for Women on Wheels. Um, and then like the BCU, the you know, the team out there, um, they 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 saw what what happened with the ride and how great it was. I reached out to city of Boston. So I was just kind of like, I wanted to expand my network, but also ensure that we had support for future rides. Um, and so from those connections, I was able to get connected to blue bikes. Um, and so with blue bikes, a, a lot of opportunities have came because I was able to do a video in Spanish, uh, explaining to our demographics, not just women, but everyone in Boston, how to use the blue bikes app and how to, re you know, like, get a bike and bring it back to the station so um yeah so from the the blue bikes opportunity was huge because i mean that was i'm again as i highlighted i'm puerto rican and dominican so that was a huge thing for me personally just to do it in spanish although i must say it was really hard because my spanish is so different from what they had written on that script i i was like i've never even heard of these words this is crazy but um but we were able to do it even though it took like 20 takes <laughs> 
and yeah and so from there i i mean i i don't have any sponsorships from major brands but i think the biggest one was the most recent one with um, rei um rei was i i was able to get connected through them through a uh, a friend shout outs to liz rock <laughs> from trailblazers uh and so from there you know it was just more of a like a influencer in the for the cycling community just to highlight their new store in cambridge that just opened up um recently now in october so for it's mainly to gear people that have that have a passion for cycling and running okay so the burn sponsor i mean uh partnership started through peter chung yeah <laughs> peter uh they reached out to him to do a um kind of like a marketing thing for burn and so they wanted to release uh you know, take pictures and videos of the new helmets that were coming out for this year, 2021. And um, they needed a female and a male. So he got me and Danny to do the um, the videos. And it was so cool. Like we met the whole burn team and they treated us so rad. So oh, Danny is one of the members from Brothers on Bikes. Shout out to Brothers on Bikes. There's an amazing group here in Boston from men of, men of color. Um, and yeah, so that sponsorship basically started from there. And then I was able to connect with the marketing person. His name is Mickey. And Mickey reached out to me and said, hey, we, we love what you're doing with Women on Wheels. We would love to, you know, uh, bring you as, in as an ambassador. And yeah, send me the contract. I accepted it. And it's been great because I think having the support of brands like Burn would bring in more uh, like, for instance, like our, during our beginner ride recently. I had a table with, you know, a bunch of burn gear and they, they question, so what is burn? Like, what do they do? And so they're a helmet company and this is the one I'm wearing. So, oh, okay. So is there a code? And I have a code for them to shop online. So all of those connections really grew organically. It wasn't me doing the outreach. It was more like, oh, I connected through this person and then they reach out to me, you know, and so forth. Um, but that's really how it's been. It's, it, it hasn't been something that I've been like trying to target specifically or get money out of. I make zero dollars with women on wheels, but I love it. It's just, it's, it's sort of a hobby that grew into something beautiful. Yeah. I think that's something we can all relate to. Uh, these are all passion projects and you know, if we can turn it into money, of course we'll take it. The most of us do it just because we love it. I don't, I don't make money off of the things that I'm working on either most of the time. So I feel that. Um, so I, you know, I had kind of a similar story to you in terms of biking. I grew up, you know, in the suburbs of Maine. I would bike to all of my friends' houses. And then I moved to Southern Pennsylvania where there were no lines on the street and everything was really narrow and it just wouldn't have been a safe place to ride. So I didn't come back to biking until I was in college. Uh, so I, I definitely relate strongly to that whole journey, but I am guessing that my experience in the suburbs of Maine might've been a little different than riding around in Puerto Rico. Uh, I think that's on my radar to get down there and, and do some riding. Uh, definitely. So do you have any, any good memories from doing that or anything you want to share about that in Puerto Rico obviously I, I mentioned that I moved here when I was 10 so I wouldn't go out too far of course I would only ride around my neighborhood which was great it was me and my dog which is funny because he looked like Watson <laughs> oh he heard his name <laughs> so when I yeah when I was little I had a dog um, called Chickaline and I remember coming back coming home from school and just going on bike rides with him um so he would just follow me around and, and again I wouldn't go too too far 
but as I grew older, I, I visit Puerto Rico every year because my dad and, and family still live there. Um, and I still have to rent a bike and ride around. Um, it is dangerous. It's not like Boston where there's more biking infrastructure with, uh, you know, bike lanes, protective bike lanes. Puerto Rico is more, I would say you can see that more in San Juan, which is the capital. So in San Juan, I feel like there's a lot more space to cycle and there are definitely protected bike lanes. So when I go, I do enjoy, I kind of break my trips in um, half. So I live in the countryside where just there's just mountains and like narrow streets and uh, there isn't a whole lot of people biking. But once you go to the metro area, which is San Juan, like, you know, like here in Boston, then you'll definitely see a lots of cyclists and people, you know, running and all of that. It's more... Um, overly populated than where I'm from. One thing that I'm really interested in in these conversations is, you know, we've talked a lot about biking and your journey with biking. And, uh, you know, I've been to a couple of the Women on Wheels rides. I'm hoping to go to the one this weekend. And they're really fun and it's a great community. Um, but as we all know, we we do this in our free time. We do this because we love it and it's our passion project. But I'm kind of curious to dig into your other side of life. So you uh, do something, you're a makeup artist for weddings. Is that it? Can you talk a little bit more about what else you do? You don't have to dig into this if you don't really want to, but I think it's fascinating. So I started a small business called Sweet Bella. Um, We just recently made it into an LLC, but Sweet Bella is a team of three makeup artists and we essentially uh, deliver makeup services and workshops to women in Massachusetts. Um, we've done Rhode Island and New Hampshire and other, you know, nearby states, but mainly focus here in the in the metro area. And so I in 2013 we started the service and we were focusing around the North Shore area. And so between 2013 and 2016, it grew tremendously where every weekend we were booked, not just for weddings, but like even any any event, you know. Uh, we started hosting workshops and teaching women how to do their own makeup, like doing it one-on-one um, <clears throat> and in groups. Um, and then I moved to Boston and I kind of had to start over because my clientele was based in the North Shore. Um, so now, and again, I think the power of social media is something else because all you, you know, all I had to do was just say, hey, I'm moving to Boston. If anyone wants to come out here and get their makeup done, you can travel to me or I can still travel to you and charge you a travel fee. And Laura, I'll tell you, it's been a blessing because obviously like we all have nine to fives, but like my makeup business is it's uh, seasonal sort of in the sense that I can only do it on weekends. And as soon as the winter comes and we don't get as many bookings and, you know, wedding season is around spring. So we've made so much money with weddings. It's amazing. Uh, so I, I am really grateful for, you know, the team that I have. We recently just hired someone else to to help us out with the demand. But um, yeah, Sweet Bella Women on Wheels keeps me very busy on weekends. And then I do have a job. So we talked about, you know, when you're biking for certain things like women on wheels but what about just for yourself like what kind of riding do you enjoy obviously you know some of these longer trips you know 20 something miles I I don't know if you know Megan um she's also a cyclist Uh, she recently moved but Megan it was Megan Francis um Nicolette Lizzie Lizette and I so we 
I, I think the idea really started with them. They're like, hey, we should do like a century ride. And I was like, what? What? Why? <laughs> Why are we riding 100 miles? Like, I'm not someone who does like long distances. Like, I, yeah, I could do 30 miles. Cool. Like, I, I'll survive. But 100 is to me in my mind was crazy. And so this is what I love about the Trailblazers because they will motivate you to do things that you think you could never do. And so you know they brought it up to me we set up a zoom meeting and we're like all right let's just very official official. yeah like taking notes the whole shebang like so megan put the route together from boston to cape cod on memorial day weekend and (laughs) we got a hotel in and everything so that we were only going to do exactly 100 miles from boston to cape cod and then stay out there and come back on sunday it just so happened, of course, as you remember, the weather was trash. Like, it rained all weekend. It rained all weekend, and it was like, I want to say it was like 40 degrees outside. And I had never ridden my bike in the, under that condition, so I was really nervous. I was like begging the girls, like, can we cancel? But trailblazers are going to be trailblazers. They have that runner's mentality, which I love because they're like, it doesn't matter if it's snowing, we're doing it. And we did it. I didn't complete the hundred. Um, I there was a point where I couldn't feel my toes and my fingertips anymore. It was like it was that cold, and it was nonstop raining until. So I made it up to God. I can't remember the name of the town, but I did forty nine miles in total. But um, yeah, Nicolette didn't finish as well. She had she like uh, had an incident uh, and during the ride. Not too bad, but she just didn't want to make it worse. And then the rest of the girls finished successfully. They did the 100 miles and it was amazing. I guess my follow up to that then is, are you going to go for it again? Do you still want to do 100 miles at some point or are you good with what you did? Because let me tell you, nearly 50 miles is pretty impressive. <laughs> so... I, I wouldn't mind doing 100 miles. I'll, I'll definitely try to do it in, in uh, better weather. Uh, if it's warm out, not too hot, not too cold, I think that's the perfect weather to do a century ride. But I think the one thing I enjoyed the most during that time was our training rides, right? Because so Megan, the, the other cyclist I was uh, talking to you about, she has been a cyclist for years. Um, so she made a whole training for us, like Google Calendar and everything. So we would meet in um, Bedford slash Lexington to ride with her uh, on Tuesdays or, you know, whenever we were available, we would just do. So one day we would do 30, another day we would do 50, another day we would do 20 and so forth. And so kind of like increasing our level uh, of, of, you know, and so I think that helped. I, I, I don't think I could have done 50 miles under those conditions had I not been training that hard and, you know. I think the girls went harder than me because they were more consistent and because I have the business on weekends, sometimes it keeps me busy. So I can't, I couldn't complete the days that we had training, but it definitely helped. I will definitely do it again. Just not raining. (laughs) I've done a couple of centuries and honestly, once you do it, you're like, yeah, that was really great. I'm so proud of myself. I'm good. I don't need to do it again. (laughs) So I always recommend people trying it out, but I, you know, I don't need to do that much anymore. Uh, uh, but uh, the one thing I was going to say is every century I've done has been some sort of supported ride or charity ride or something like that. And, and so I just, I was really impressed that this was just a group of people that just made a goal and said, we're going to do this. And, 
and we're going to train and we're going to go out. We're going to make sure we have all of our food on us and, and refill our water bottles as needed. So I think for me, looking at that, that's what I found really inspiring about that whole journey was uh, this whole thing about being, you know, self-supported. I don't know if you had anyone who was coming along on the ride, but we actually had two drivers um, and they were uh, they're part of the Pioneers run crew. Um, So Pioneers is also a it's a it's a run crew here in Boston for for people of color, both men and women. And um, I, again, didn't I didn't really have a support as far as who can follow us to Cape Cod and and make sure that they meet us in different spots to either give us fuel or in in waters and, and you know, for whatever support. And when I tell you these two women showed up like they even drove a, a U-Haul so that we can bring our bikes back. And, and again, they're just the most supportive people I've ever met. <laughs> and I remember like we had we had stops and, you know, every uh, 20 miles or so we would make a stop. And so I would see them and I just wanted to cry. I'm like, oh, my God, just give me, because we're shaking. We're literally sh- we're shaking. We're cold. We're wet. And I remember stopping and saying, like, I just thank you for being here. They would give us hand warmers, um, you know, gloves, a blanket, anything we needed. They were just there to support. So, yes, had it not been for them, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel a little better that you did have some support with you. Because that, that, you know, carrying that much food and that much water is a lot of work. So I, I'm very happy to hear that you were supported. Um, it also makes me feel less bad about, you know, my centuries in the long run. Uh, <laughs> um, so you're talking about like the conditions and just on my last, I was just on a big ride in Maine and it was a couple of long days. And on the last day, uh, we've spent the first 30 miles in the rain warmer granted, because this was just a warmer time of year, but it's kind of that same mentality of, we got to a, a water stop and we maybe ate a quick banana, threw some water in our bottle and kept going because otherwise we were going to get too cold. Uh, and I remember thinking that it has a lot to do with attitude, how much fun you have in those situations. So hearing you talk about the support system, I, I related hard to that because you know we had this great support system on this ride. And when I came into that first water stop, I had had a great morning. Yes, I was a little cold. Yes, I was very wet. I couldn't like touch my phone because everything was just wet. Uh, But I was having a great day. My friend and I had stopped and taken a picture in front of a funny sign. We'd uh, ridden through this really big puddle. And so we acted like kids again. So it's just really nice to hear about the the support of people. Did you feel like that really uh, kept you going that day? Yeah, I see. Yeah. So I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I would have been able to complete that century ride had it not been for them cheering all, all along. Like, and even, um, at times I felt like I was losing energy and, you know, kind of like staying behind. Uh, and so I think <laughs> shout outs to Frances because Frances from trailblazers, she is the baddest person I know. She's like nothing beats her like she'll she'll do anything and she won't cry or complain about it she's like if I can do it you can do it so come on stop complaining like she'll just you know so I I feel like had it not been for Francis and like the support of uh Liz and even even before we left I remember we had people cheering us on and you know where we met up um 
and uh we also ran into a, a running crew on the way there uh so it, it, it was just amazing like they were you know shouting us out because they had seen the journey on social media and how we've been training uh and so when they saw us they started clapping and, and cheering on us so that like all of that support and people really being so supportive of, of it on, online kind of like made me say you know what i really would like to do this again um and so that's sort of my vision with women on wheels i feel like when people are in community and they you know think that they can't do something or when 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 i see women that say oh my god 12 miles that's crazy and i'm like it's not just come i promise and then they do it and they're like that wasn't bad i'm like yeah because you guys think of it like we're running it's not the same as running biking is so much easier especially if we go at a slow pace and we're in a group and we're cheering each other on you have fun you don't even notice that you're working out so yeah yeah I, I definitely feel that I think after the first 30 I was like oh man it stopped raining oh that flew by like that was great um yeah I see that I see that all the time I would go into work and someone would say oh what'd you do this weekend and I'm like oh I, you know I just rode 30 miles. It wasn't, you know, because to me it was, you know, oh, that was a shorter ride. And they're just looking at me like, are you insane? That's so long. Um, but, you know, when when we think about doing these longer rides, what I try to explain to people, especially because to your point, biking, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, biking is something that, you know, people can ride for longer than they think they can. Uh, and it's not running. Running, I think, is so much harder. I can. I just did four days of 75 miles and finished every single day and felt really great about it. Do not ask me to do a 5K right now. It would kick my butt. <laughs> it's just completely different. Um, and so when we're thinking about these things, you were talking about kind of, I think the theme of today's conversation has really been the the power of social media for the better, thankfully. Um, you know, I think it's come up a lot that we were trying to build community. So what is your kind of feeling around like community? Do you feel like it's, st you're still building it? Is it something that you're really striving for? What is, you know, it's kind of a deep question, but what does community mean to you? When we motivate others to do the same you're doing, right. But like help them think, understand that it's not something that's impossible. Right. So I, I hear a lot of like women say, oh, I, I don't have a bike or I don't know anything about biking or I don't know anything about bike mechanics. I don't I don't know much about bike mechanics either. I learned throughout this journey and and, and throughout this journey, meaning like a year ago, like I, I didn't know how to change my tires. So building community is, is really motivating other women to know, like if I if I can do it and and all of these women that are with me could do it you can too so join us you know what i mean so it's just that that's sort of like my, my um my vision for this is just to continue growing continue supporting one another uh come out and have fun like while you're having fun you're working out and living a healthier lifestyle and so i'm all about health and fitness i'm not like a gym rat i i can't stand being on a <laughs> on a um a treadmill i rather either walk outside go for you know uh either either a jog or just go cycle so i want other people to like know it's just better to be in community to be in around others and you'll see i mean you've been to our rides like even at night like how cool we're playing music and we're like people are vibing and even folks that are out and they see us coming by they're like 
wow, that looks so much fun. We want to be part of it, you know? Or what is this ride? Like, where can I find you? When we stop at red lights and they ask, like, what is the name of this organization? I'm like, it's women on wheels and brothers on bikes and bikes not bomb. Just follow all of them. I mean, and just come out. And so, like, even tomorrow, we have a couple of new people. One that it just moved he, uh, to Boston from Chicago. And she doesn't have any bike friends, but she's just coming to try it out. And I bet you she's going to come back more. <laughs> um and during the, our last ride, I remember one thing that stuck with me was uh, shout out to Bridget and um, Gabby, because both of them were people that reached out to me on social media. Uh, hey, we want to ride. How can I join you? They rode and they have been part of this group, like all on board. You know what I mean? And so they keep bringing other women. And so they brought it up at the last ride. Like, oh, I remember how we all met. It was really through women on wheels. So that is what when I want to answer about community, what is community to me is just let's connect more women to, the, you know, around the sport. I'm so amped up right now. That's great. <laughs> it's really great to hear these conversations about getting women on bikes, because the more we see it, you know, 100 years ago, it was it was pushing the women's lib movement to have women on bikes and feel more freedom. They talk about it a lot in Afghanistan about women getting, uh, you know, at least before the recent issues in Afghanistan, they were able to really find their freedom by biking. And so uh, I just love hearing stories like yours because that's all I ever want to see in the world. It's just more people, more women, especially on bikes, because if you can get the women out there, you get their children and vice versa. And you just create a world in which more people are aware and riding there's so many families where like i'm I, you know teaching kids it's always oh my dad bikes oh my dad takes me out and does things and i want to hear about more women taking women out we talked a little bit about your makeup and we talked about the or your your makeup company it sounds <laughs> diminutive to just say makeup <laughs> we talked about your makeup company and we talked about cycling uh, do you have any other passions well um before the pandemic, I was really into traveling. Um, I'm very adventurous. So like, you know, going into, you know, new cities and uh, countries just to explore what they have to offer. Trying out new restaurants is really my thing. So uh, prior to Women on Wheels, like I mentioned, it was called Adventures with Jotty. It was just sort of exploring hidden gems around, you know, in and out of Boston. So um again before the pandemic uh it i feel like things haven't been the same as far as traveling so i haven't done as much travel uh recently but i am thinking of going to seattle uh just because one it's a huge city for biking um i re recently went to montreal for a weekend and i literally fell in love with the way that they have you know the biking infrastructure out there is insane like there are more bikes, people on bikes than there were cars. And I was just, I remember any, every street literally had um, a bike lane on both sides. And so I rented bikes, um, me and my friend. And so we went around the city and grabbed food, grabbed drinks, and it was just so much fun. So that is essentially what I like to do. <laughs> I, I know that it still kind of like surrounds itself around cycling, but um, cycling and exploring new places it's really my thing and like just networking like I go into a restaurant I'm like all right so how long you've been here talk to the bartender and like you know make friends and so even in Montreal like uh, my friends already had, had been there but 
uh, when I went in, I met the bartender. Now we follow each other on Instagram. <laughs> so if I ever go back to Montreal and now I know, you know, I have a friend, I know where to go. And so that is a side passion of mine, just, you know, exploring new places and adventuring around. Yeah, people try to say, oh, Boston, why do you want to improve the infrastructure? You can only bike, you know, six months out of the year. But you look at a, a city like Montreal, it gets way more snow and you realize it's it's very possible. What is your advice to someone who's just getting into riding? Just any you know advice that you would give? So, I mean, specifically here in Boston, I think start like just do it and you don't need to like okay so it's easier said than done of course um this past summer i uh started uh partnering with city of boston to help them out with the learn to ride workshops just to get women uh to learn how to ride so we would go in an empty parking lot with a fleet of bikes that city of boston owns uh vivian ortiz was also part part of it as one of the um volunteers and so we would help uh, these girls had a ride from literally step one. So get on a bike, start scooching around, like just, you know, like pushing yourself on the bike to, so that they can get, yeah. So like, so they can get, you know, get some balance. So go around the lot a couple times and, um, and then I would just hold their seat and then have them pedal. Um, and then we just go on. And so, seeing women how to like learn to ride from all ages and I'm talking about from like really young teenagers to uh middle-aged women and like it was amazing um so I would say start look for these resources they're free they're out there um which is you know sort of like the advocacy that I also do on women on wheels is like if you're not aware well you know follow us on Instagram you'll know about these things well in advance so you can RSVP uh, and then I do the beginning rides um, also with City of Boston. So they provided a bunch of bikes for us um, so that these women can come and start on the trail. Right. Because it riding in Boston is scary. If you're not a cyclist like you and I, it's like, you know, that it's scary to share the bike lanes and and, you know, be on the lookout for angry drivers. So just start. Don't feel intimidated. Many of us, you know, didn't know how to ride. I would say that would be my advice. Just don't say it's just all for guys, you know, or I remember going into a group and my husband and his friends went out riding and I couldn't come because there were no girls. Like, I hate hearing that because this is what we're here for. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that kind of wraps up all the things I really wanted to cover. Do you feel like there's anything else you want to make sure that you share? Follow us on Instagram, womenonwheels.boston. Um, same way on Facebook, women on wheels Boston, um, our website, women on wheels Boston dot, um, com and follow us on Strava. So for those that do have Strava and they want to like, like Liz says, if, it, if it's not recording, it never happened. <laughs> yeah. So Strava is amazing because you can record your ride and check out the mileage um, and, you know, all the analytics are on there. But um, I'm a huge fan of, of Strava and I actually started a, uh, the Women on Wheels group on there so that when, whenever we go riding, we can see like, you know, who was on the ride, follow one another. And again, create that community within that that app. I truly enjoyed speaking with Yari. It's really hard not to have a good time with someone who is just so full of life. But I realized that after I talked to her, I was missing a part of our conversation. I had asked her about the Brianna Taylor ride 
because uh, I had attended and, and I knew she was one of the organizers. She told this amazing story. It was an, a really inspiring moment and I couldn't find it in all of my recordings. I must have hit the wrong button when she was speaking. So thank you, Yari, for sending in this quick clip you're about to hear where she goes through what that experience was like for her. And uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So one specific ride that I wanted to highlight was uh, the ride for Brianna Taylor that it, you know we did in uh, March 13th of this year. Uh, and that was a partnership with the Trailblazers running crew. Um, and we just wanted to honor and celebrate the life of Brianna Taylor, who, as you may know, was fatally shot by police that same day last year. Um, but before we did the bike ride, um, you know, we want we had speakers, you know, kind of like highlighting the importance of amplifying the voices of the black community and really not letting their stories and tragedies be dismissed and forgotten. Um, we had, again, speakers t talking about their experiences, like, you know, they were all women of color. Uh, and so then we did a, a moment of silence for Brianna Taylor as well. So the ride was a total of only 10 miles. It was, it was a, a fairly short ride, but when I tell you, Laura, the amount of support and, uh, you know, like the, the number of people that showed up was insane. <laughs> we had, I want to say well over 200 people show up to the ride and i was you know i was worried that we wouldn't have enough volunteers to do you know marshalling uh, like to marshal and like keep us safe on the streets obviously we're going to block the you know, traffic throughout the 10 uh the 10 miles but um we had plenty of marshals we had plenty of people that decided to volunteer once we were there um and so i you know it, it was just so impactful i remember when we so we initially left Castle Island and we rode all the way to ICA. That was one of our stopping points. Then we had another speaker there, and then from uh, ICA back to Castle Island. I remember getting to Seaport, heading towards Castle Island, and I look back and I hear the crowd literally chant like, <sighs> like you can hear all of those people, and all I can see is just people like pulling up in bikes, like a bunch of like heads coming up, getting closer to me. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm leading this ride. This is crazy. And I, and I literally felt chills. Like, I'm like, I can't believe that so many people supported this ride. This is beautiful. Um, and that is exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to come outside and, and really like take take space and, and ensure that people see us, that they hear us and they know her name and the injustices that were happening in the black community. Um, so uh, that was honestly probably one of the most unforgettable rides. I'll, I'll literally never forget that moment. It was powerful. And I am so grateful because a lot of local organizations came through to help the Boston Cycling Union, um, you know, Boston Bike Party, Ride for Black Lives, organizers, um, you know, just in a bunch of people on Instagram and Facebook were reaching out. It was just the word got out so fast. And um, again, it was just I, I hold that that time that 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 ride really near to my heart. All right. And we are back for our final segment. We're going to be playing a fun little game today. But before we dive into that, Bridget, we were just chatting and you wanted to share something on mic for all of our listeners to hear. Can you tell me what that was? <laughs> yes, I can. Um, this is probably the most important thing that I will talk about today, which is Watson, the dog. 
Uh, the bike dog. <laughs> Get it right. The bike dog. Watson the bike dog. I always think of him as Watson the adventure dog for some reason. I, that's fair too. I don't know why. Uh, so one of my favorite things about today, probably my favorite thing, was that I was riding. So I'm riding behind LJ. And every once in a while, you know, we need to, you know, we're, we're on a path. There's some walkers we need to go around. And so LJ rings her bell, goes around. And then as I'm passing them, they notice Watson in the backpack. And it's just gushing. Just, oh, my God, do you see him? Oh, my God, look at him. And it was just the most precious thing. Um, as he's just looking super cool in his doggles. And people are just like, it's just a joy to see people's day absolutely made by seeing Watson. And now I feel like I'm going to have a Pavlovian response when every time I hear a bell, I'm going to just go, oh, <laughs> Because I don't think there was a single time <laughs> that it wasn't that you rang your bell and there wasn't instantly just multiple people going, <gasps> do you see that dog? That dog's in a backpack. That dog is wearing goggles. <laughs> he he is a sight to see on the, on the path. I think I like to think of him as the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. So I never have to worry that uh, if I'm doing something that someone doesn't like with my bicycle, <laughs> they instantly look up, see a dog and forget it all. Oh, yeah. And just are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. It's so. like any anger just <laughs> melts away yeah. instantly. He He's really creating a peaceful coalition between <laughs> cars, pedestrians and bikes, which actually... Uh, Bridget, you are just the master of segues, I have to say, even though I'm the one making them. I, say, I didn't do any work <laughs> on this one, so uh, thank you for the credit. Because <laughs> that's going to take us into the game today. So Game time. The game we're going to play today is called Real or Fake. Now, I'm going to read you comments that were <gasps> made by, I assume, real people about real humans who ride their bicycles. Now, just for uh, a bit of context, um, there is a uh, website that I won't directly name because I don't want to give it too much life, but I think most people are aware of it. It's kind of your neighborhood watch type of (laughs) website. Yeah, and um, every time there's any type of uh, post that has anything to do with bicycles, there can be anywhere from a couple of hundred comments to this one thread that I was looking at that has 463 comments Whoa! on just one post. So these comments were pulled from a post that was made about people riding around. I, did, I, I went to two different posts, but it was all about people riding around in the city on their bicycles. So your job is to tell me, is this a real comment someone made about real humans who ride bicycles, or did I make it up? Okay. <laughs> All Bring right. It. Number one. Yeah, that's the reason I don't really give them leeway on the road at all. As a group, they are very rude with a sense of entitlement. I wasn't sure until you said entitlement, and that made me decide it was real. <laughs> that is a very real comment made about someone. They're, that's one of the favorite words that people like to use is entitlement. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that good sounds call. like, yeah, that, that just <laughs> sounded right. Uh, all right, number two. Why do people ride bikes when they spend all of their time on here complaining about how dangerous it is? <gasps> Ooh. Fake. That is fake. <gasps> I know what, the really? sentence structure was too too good, right? <laughs> no, I uh, I've seen 
similar things, but yeah, I've never had anyone outright say that to me. Um, number three, I couldn't disagree with you more. I think cyclists are ruining the city. I think their <laughs> attitude, their physical presence, their righteous indignation, their disrespect, it's extremely negative. <laughs> indignation. Oh my God. Real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's just oh, there's like some key words that just really sound like oh i've heard someone yelling that yeah <laughs> out yeah, the window I know. Or... <laughs> all right uh number four you're crushing it three for three all right number four if a bike runs a red light and a car swerves to avoid hitting this bike and runs up on a sidewalk and kills a pedestrian would that be considered one of those non-fender benders non-fender what uh real <laughs> that's a very real thing at the one of my favorites just to seg to uh, side note for a moment one of my absolute favorites when i do look through these posts i try to be i try to be very civil i only point out actual facts mm -hmm. um i try not to be antagonistic you know be positive thank people when they're being polite but i i do get a great enjoyment from these people who will just come up with some of the most ridiculous scenarios and it's always this very extreme hypothetical well what if this extremely unlikely never gonna happen situation happens then you're wrong right and it's right. like oh my god why are we even going there why? Why, just why it's also it's so interesting because i think so many times the folks who get really frustrated with cyclists what I, I guess I, what I wish could be the dialogue a lot of times, and I've heard other folks say this too, is just that like the infrastructure that would prevent these sort of scenarios from happening is good for everyone. Like it, it, at least for safety. Like I understand that for some drivers, it might make things slightly more inconvenient, but really like other, but cyclists that, want the infrastructure that that's going to prevent that too. Inconvenience is the end of the world. Don't you yeah, know that? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Jeez, it is apocalypse causing. <laughs> so, anyway, so so oh. far you are four for four. Four for so four. Let's see if you can get uh, the rest of these. Um. All right, number five. I believe that it is wrong for bike for bicycles to be on the road. I pay excise tax and sales tax for my car. I have the right to be there. Oh, real. <laughs> no, that one's fake. But, no! oh! <laughs> but I did get you with that excise oh, text, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, it was the excise test. <laughs> Especially because I've, um, this is a, a fairly new argument that I've heard. I mean, I'm sure it's not a new argument, but it's new to me. Yeah. I've heard it a lot recently, especially and, in the last like election cycle. Yeah. And to be fair, I was intentionally trying to trick you because <laughs> there have been comments with that, but I've never seen the combination of excise tax and right to the road. It's more of like, well, they should pay taxes if they want to ride here. It's like we, we do also mm -hmm. most cyclists own cars. I don't personally, oh, but really? a lot of people who I ride their that bikes also own cars yeah. and so this idea that the bike has to pay its extra taxes doesn't make any sense because believe me i i pay plenty of taxes to be out <laughs> here evading on taxes <laughs> <laughs> all right next one when i see a bike on the road i like to play a game 10 points if it's startled 20 if they look upset at me and 100 if i force them off the road entirely oh 
Watson. I'm going to phone a Watson. <laughs> Watson, Watson, Watson he's can, asleep. You, can you weigh in here? Oh, no. He's asleep in the sun. All right. Wait, could, could, could you read me the point system again? Uh, it was 10 points if they're startled, 20 if they look like they're upset with me, and 100 if I can force them off the road entirely. Real? No, it's fake. Oh. But the fact that your, your horrified look that you thought that might be real did endear me a little bit because I haven't specifically seen anything quite this cruel, but some people can make some really intense comments on yeah, there. That sounded like a super troll. Okay. So rounding out number seven, this is the last one. Okay. Uh, I don't, by the way, as I read this, I don't know who Kelly is. She was just another poster. So just don't be thrown by that. I agree with Kelly wholeheartedly. I have often felt complete disdain, if not out and out hate for bike riders on any given day. I've had so many bad experiences as a walker and I hate what those bike lanes have done to the streets and how they have no regard for the small businesses in their way. A civil war. It sometimes what? feels like that. My feelings toward bike riders are very similar to how I feel about conservatives. I find their attitudes and righteous indignation selfish, myopic, short-sighted, and without care for their neighbors. Wow. Real. That is a very real comment. I thought I gave it away with the Kelly thing, and I was like, oh, wait, I just told you there was another poster. No, um, yeah, that is a real comment by a real woman, and I remember I was part of that chain thread where at first it was just, oh, that's so frustrating, these bikes, blah, 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 and that happens. You know, that's okay. We're having a dialogue. Then all of a sudden she's like, I just feel out and out hate for these bikes, and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa someone just turned a corner in this comment thread. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was very intense. Uh, but yeah, that is a real Quite comment, the comment made by a person who thinks that bike riders are like conservative. She also called people Trump supporters, but that comment was taken down at one point. What? <laughs> Why would she? That seems like probably not. I don't think the Venn diagram of cyclists and Trump supporters is like very I don't big. Think, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't think that overlaps a whole lot. No, I don't. I don't think I know any, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but Bridget, you won. Woo! You only missed one out of seven. I, you I know, thought I missed two. Did I miss two? You might have missed two. It's fine. You won I'll the game. <laughs> Not to copy uh, John Lovett and his, but <laughs> you won the game. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Air five. That was a fun game. Oh, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps on the very first Friends on Bikes eating dessert. I will be giving... Bridget some leftovers before she leaves today and I want to thank yes. everybody for listening Bridget do you have any um plugs or shout outs that you want to throw uh, in here I just want to say thanks for getting me back on my bike um I'm gonna give a shout out to Watson <laughs> my boy Watson my, he's not my boy but he's my he's who I aspire to be one day <laughs> <laughs> aspire to be as cool as Watson um yeah and I encourage anyone to also you know, call up a friend who bikes. And if you're new to biking and have them take you on a ride, because this was really helpful for me. Um, and I will also plug then uh, my show slash now podcast called Blittle League. That's B-L-I-T-T-L-E. So little with a B in front of it. League, which is a uh, tabletop RPG um 
show where myself and four other people play 10-year-olds with superpowers who play in Little League in a world that's full of monsters and angels and demons, and we're the ones who have to protect the world from all of those forces. So it's a, it's a horror show, but it's also really fun and has a lot of heart. Um, and we do the show live Tuesdays at 8 p.m. on Twitch at the Splorts Hub. So that's the sports like sports with an l hub (laughs) (laughs) and then you can also find us in podcast form um we're slowly trickling them out uh on anywhere you get your podcasts excellent i love that that's a wrap on episode two folks thank you to pq yari de jesus and bridget copes for chatting with me the dope theme song and music is by the talented kate hardley she has her own album coming out on november 21st and you can listen to her first single on her Bandcamp right now that is katehardley.bandcamp.com and hardly is spelled h-a-r-d-l-y the podcast is hosted produced recorded and edited by me laura jillian with an honorable mention to watson the bike dog currently barking in the background for his contributions throughout the show for more information about the show and biking you can visit my website randonista.com and follow my adventures in biking and more behind the scenes for the pod at randonista on instagram and youtube as well as watson's biking adventures and watson the bike dog on instagram and now your watson moment we're right in the middle of everything watson what are you doing really I know, but you're going to be able to see him for like 10 more minutes. Watson! Yeah, I know you can hear me. Dude, let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it hold you back anymore. Don't worry, we're Let it go.